Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. And welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Dukovich. I'm a financial advisor, a retirement income certified professional, a certified plan fiduciary advisor, and an associate vice president financial advisor with RBC Wealth Management. For those of you who have tuned in before, welcome back. But for anyone that's listening for the first time, this podcast is designed to help you take control. And we do that by not only discussing a financial topic that is timely and relevant and applicable to your own wealth plan, but we'll also discuss an important topic that goes beyond your money. And on today's Beyond Your Money podcast, I've brought Patrice Sikora back to the show to continue our discussion about the universal truths in wealth management. Patrice, as always, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. I look forward to this. I appreciate it. And Patrice, we're going to pick up on the conversation where we started in the last episode mm -hmm. about some of the lessons or advice I give as a financial advisor that can be treated as universal, which in my world of private wealth management is somewhat rare. As I mentioned in the first episode, all so often the discussions I have with clients and prospects are very personalized and, and extremely specific to that particular situation. And as a result, many times I have to be careful before giving advice because I don't have all of the details for that particular situation. However, I do feel that there are some pieces of advice that I can give that are universal, meaning that everyone listening can benefit from hearing it. And that is what we're going to talk about today. And before we dive into some of the new universal truths we didn't cover last time, let's quickly run through some of those things that we talked about in that last podcast. And again, if you want further detail on these, just go back and listen to the universal truths part one. Okay. So Patrice, last time we talked about the importance to save and, and Americans mm -hmm. are not saving enough. And we really have to take control of our own retirement because the, the usual things that people used to rely on, the pensions and, and social security is a larger uh, portion of, of your retirement income. They're just not going to be there. So you definitely have to save. Pensions are just not, they're not around anymore. If, if you have no. a pension, you are among the few. Without a doubt. And a lot of the pensions that are still around are, are a little watered down. They're not nearly as robust as they once were. So you, you got to save. That's bar none, first and foremost. And, and you're better off saving early. Mm -hmm. You save early, even if it's a smaller amount, that is better than saving a larger amount late, later on. Compounding okay? is all important. Without a doubt. And at the bare minimum, if you're not sure how much to save, particularly in a qualified retirement plan, you want to at least get the employer match. So that at bare minimum, you have to put in what you need to, to capture their full match. That's a universal truth. We also talked about budget and, and knowing what you spend. That's important. A lot of people really don't have a grasp on that. We talked about what I use as the 50-30-20 rule, mm -hmm. where with a combined income, roughly 50% of your income is going to go towards things that you need, you know, mortgage or rent. Right gas in your car, food, electric, phone bill, that sort of thing. 30% goes to things that you want, but not necessarily need. So that would be your cable bill, vacation, eating out, hobbies, things of that nature. And 20% of your budget should go towards tomorrow, I call it. Saving, paying off bad debt, and just basically putting away for future use. So knowing what you spend is important. 
Along those same lines, we talked about what you need in retirement, and, and that varies by individual or by couple, but it's, it's important to have kind of a rough idea so that you can plan for that and, and project so that you know what you need to do and what you need to save to get you to that point. And we talked about, when we talked about knowing what you'll need in retirement, we talked about maybe having a test run around 60 or right. 61, a couple of years before you're getting ready to retire, where you actually make a projection of what you might need and you try and live that year with that projection. And at the end of that year, you have a really good sense as far as whether or not that number is in line or whether or not it needs to be adjusted. And, and if it isn't in line, you better think about it very carefully. Without a doubt. And, and that is why we do the test run, right? I'd rather see a test run fail than you retire at 66 or 67 or whatever it may be without a test run with projections in mind that are just way off because at that point, you know, you're in the game. You know, and you say usually it. people need anywhere between 60 and 90% of their current income. That's pretty considerable, actually. It is. And a lot of people, I talk about the the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years in retirement. So there's really three phases where early in retirement, you're going to spend very close to what you were spending while you were working. You know, that's when you're traveling and, right. and visiting the grandkids and doing things that you always wanted to do now that you have time. So that's when most of the money is going to be spent. Then you transition into the slow-go years where you're maybe not traveling as much, you're getting a little older, maybe you're not playing as much golf. And then obviously in the no-go years where you're maybe physically unable to travel or you're just, you're not uh, playing golf at all anymore. And, and that's natural. That's the ebb and flow of, of aging and, and retirement. And so you want to kind of project these things. You want to know what you're going to be spending during those various phases. So knowing what you need in retirement is definitely a key. This is one of our favorites. I know you like this one, I love Patrice, this one, yes. We, we talked about beware of the brother-in-law. And it's funny because in the last week, I've probably had five conversations along these lines, but really? <laughs> you want almost always, right? It's almost, it's yeah. almost weekly. We talk about it with a client or a prospect, but you want to be very weary about taking financial advice from someone that's not a trained experienced professional. And, and what I mean by that, just very quickly, when your brother-in-law, your neighbor, your colleague gives you financial advice, there's three issues with that. One, who knows that they're really saying, you know, the right thing, who knows that they know what they're talking about or what they're explaining to you. They're usually flawed a little bit or they're leaving out particular details. Two, who knows if that was the right thing for them at that particular mm -hmm. time. And three, they certainly don't know your entire financial situation. So how can they possibly give you good advice? So definitely also, beware of the brother-in-law. <laughs> you've also mentioned the fact that they may very well tell you all about their wins, but they're not gonna say anything about their losses. Oh, I have neighbors that are stock pickers and they, they consistently outperform the market. They, every stock they pick turns to gold. Uh, yeah, right? okay. and, and I always tell people, okay, great. Congratulations. I'm glad you have some winners. I'd like to see that statement. Yeah. Right. Give me that. Give me your brokerage statement someday. And I want to see what the real picture looks like. So beware of the brother-in-law. That's all I can tell you. You can take advice and, and be polite and kind and, and, you know, cause it's probably coming from a good place but you always got to take it with a grain of salt because who yeah. knows? It may also be coming from the bragging portion of the personality too. Well, and, and that actually is one thing that we're going to talk about. That's behavioral finance. We, we had a yeah. show on this before. Might as well just dive into it, right? This is one of the universal truths that we were going to talk about. So this is a great okay. segue to that. So when people talk about their financial wins, that's confirmation bias in a lot of ways. 
right? They right. made a decision already. They put things into place. They already executed something. And if they want to make sure that they feel good about that decision, they're going to talk about it and they're going to promote it. And they're going to try and get other people to do it. Because another behavioral finance topic that we talked about is hurting, where people feel good when they're in a crowd of others doing the same thing. Right. And when we're dealing with finance, when we're dealing with people's investments and people's nest eggs and their retirement and all of the money that they have to their name, we need to make sure that we are aware of their own cognitive and, and behavioral finance tendencies. But that's exactly it. You need to be aware of yourself. You need to be aware of why you're making the decisions that you're making. And, and that's a universal truth. If, if you can, if you are aware enough, or if you're working with someone that is aware enough of, of knowing why you're doing and thinking what you're doing, that's very important. That's like having the answer to the test, right? Because if, if you know that you're, you want to move in this direction because that's what everyone else is doing and you're aware of that, then that might kind of take you out of the situation a little bit so you can assess it a little bit better and, and, and really make an assessment as far as, is this the right decision or, or not? You know, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right move. So it's very important to kind of be aware and, don't and, be and afraid to know of what you're doing. Don't be afraid of bucking the crowd. As you said, it's not right for everybody necessarily. Absolutely. And, and again, I think this was episode number 13. We talked right. about some of these behavioral finance issues. Hurting or following the crowd is usually not the right move. Historically, when you look at what everyone is doing at once, that's usually the best time to be going in the opposite direction. Well, look at the markets when it comes to it. Markets going up, people start buying. They feel they have to start buying. When the market's going down, they feel they have to sell. Wait a minute. Think about that. What if you did it the opposite of way, you know? Well, everyone knows the, the investing mantra is you buy low and you sell high. Right. But also often with, with everything that's going on in mainstream media and 24-hour and news cycle and things like that, when the market's going through the roof up, I get calls all the time. Like, are we buying? Should we buy some of that? Should we dip into that? And no, the answer is no. You know, you don't go to Macy's or Target or any other retailer unless there's a sale. That's right. right. You want you want to buy when things are on sale. You don't run into that store and, and buy 10 items that are overpriced. Why would you do that with your investments? Yeah. And, and so you, you want to kind of know what you should be doing and, and cognitively why you're making decisions because that's very important. And when and when you're aware of those things, it really gives you a, a sense of power over over those decisions. And and it's natural. This is human behavior. It, it's not like you are special right? Because you have these behavioral um, finance kind of issues. Everyone has this. This is human nature and we have to be aware of it. And if you are, you can really make better decisions. So universal truth, be aware of these cognitive behavioral issues because uh, it can really help. And speaking of all these investments that you're making here, talk to me about diversification. That's a universal truth. This Diversification is I guess it's a buzzword in the industry, but it's really, it's, this is the end all be all way that people should be investing for the long term. You have to be diversified. And it makes sense if you think mm -hmm. about it logically. Diversification means that you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And everyone's heard that old quip before that it doesn't make sense to have all your eggs in one basket. It's dangerous. It's risky. Absolutely. Because if you have all of your investments in one stock or, or in one mutual fund or in one company or, or one sector, right? That's, you're putting all of your 
chips on, on that particular investment, so to speak. And, and if that investment goes awry, you have a very big problem. And so when you diversify, what you're doing is just spreading out your risk, right? So when I, when I manage a portfolio, we get diversified, we're looking for long-term growth. And what we do is we try and put money all over the place in the various sectors and, and areas of the market that are relevant and, and that you should have. So we're not just putting all of our uh, clients' money in large cap growth, for example. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to do that. We're going to have some large cap growth, but we're also going to have some large cap value. We're going to have some small and mid cap growth in value. We're going to have some, some things that are domestic or, or US based, but we're also going to have some international investments. And along the same lines, just like large, mid, small value growth domestically, we have that same group of categories with international investments. So we, we want to have sleeves and, and buckets of money in each of those different categories. And then we also have fixed income, mm-hmm. you know, bonds. And, and those typically historically have provided kind of a ballast to a portfolio. So depending on the risk tolerance and the time horizon of a client, we also want to be very diversified on, on that side of it. And so when you look at a portfolio that we're managing or, or that you should have for a long time or a long-term investment, when you look at the pie chart, you should have a lot of different pieces of that pie. It, it shouldn't just be one or two. It should be multiple pieces because when, when some things zig, some other things zag. Right. And, and that's really the, the crux of this. When the market gets volatile, some things may lose quite a bit while other things may hold their own or, or maybe even win. And over time, the diversification helps you flatten your ride. You're not on that roller coaster that we see that chart all the time of, of the S&P 500 or the Dow. It, it's a roller coaster ride. Whereas if you're diversified, your roller coaster ride should look a little bit flatter. And, and that really is, is important for the average retail investor to, to be diversified so that we lower your risk. That's because- the key. You're lowering the risk. And... They have to understand too, this doesn't guarantee there's going to be a profit. It doesn't no, totally no. protect you from loss. But as you say, it kind of flattens the ups and downs, makes it more tolerable. You nailed it. The the diversification does not guarantee wins. It does not do that. Let's be very clear. And it doesn't protect you from all of the loss. But what it should do over time is it should allow you to flatten your ride so that you can stay in the market. And that's very important, right? You, you don't want to try to time things when you're dealing with your long-term money. And that we're kind of getting into the next universal truth where you, you have to think long-term, okay? With your money, I call it your serious money. This isn't your play, play money, money. Your, your, your casino <laughs> money, right? right. This is your serious money. This is your retirement fund. This is your money that you're putting away for your child's education, or this is money that you're putting away for the future purchase of a home. This isn't run down to the casino and put all your money on black right? This is your long-term money and you have to think long-term, meaning you need to invest and not trade with and your serious money. And that's a great money. distinction. Talk about the difference between trading and investing. Uh, this is a big one, especially in the last uh, couple of years. You know, as mainstream media and, the, and then again, the 24-hour news cycle and social media, they've all, all of a sudden become very in tune with the investment world for the average retail trader. And, and what they do, good or bad, is they present quick and infinite sharing of ideas amongst what I'll call the average retail mom and pop investor who may or may not, again, going back to what we were talking about a bit ago, they might not know what they're talking about, but yet they can 
share their ideas with millions and millions of people instantly. And so what happens, it kind of creates this buzz and mainstream media may pick it up or social media with all the various platforms that are out there. And all of a sudden you look and you see, well, they're talking about this strategy or this investment. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's talking about it. I see it on the news. You know, it's time to get in. No, if you're seeing it at that point on all those various channels and, and everyone's becoming a billionaire as they're investing in this stuff, it's usually too late. Right. Right. You know, Warren Buffett, everyone knows him. He's one of the, uh, yeah. right. He's one of the greatest investors of all time. And, and he's getting up in age. He's still extremely coherent and, and wise. And what he says matters and it should resonate with everyone. But one of my favorite quotes from, from Buffett is, is we need to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Right. And so when you open up, you know, one of these social media platforms and you see that everyone's going in this direction and and they're getting greedy and you got to get in because everyone's making a ton of money. That's usually when you should probably look the other direction because, because we've talked about this in in a past podcast, when, when everyone's moving in the right direction and it becomes euphoric, that's usually the recipe for what we call a bubble. And at some point that will pop. And so one of the other things that we always talk about with a client and, and they're trying to trade versus invest is, is okay, if you want to get into that type of product, you, you certainly can, right? I'm not saying that you can't take a risk every once in a while. You just have to know the risk, number one, and you have to put the right money to work towards that very risky objective. And when I'm, again, going back to the serious money versus the play money or the casino money, when you're dealing with these types of investments that are extremely risky, you don't have to be right once. That's that's not that difficult, right? If you buy something at a decent price and it goes up, that's great. That's nice, yeah. The problem is if you need to trade and you're playing in this casino world that I call it, you don't have to be right once. You have to be right twice to actually win. To actually win the trade, you have to buy it at a good price and you have to sell it at a higher one, right? And good. so what I see with the retail investor who, who's getting involved in these these bubblicious markets, we'll call it. <laughs> a lot of people can get it right once. They're either, they bought it and it's going up. But what the what, what happens is the, the human nature kicks in and the greed kicks in and, and they just can't sell it. They can't get out of it. And then what happens? That bubble bursts, the trade reverses and they lose all of the gain. And a lot of times I've seen it historically and more recently, they lose the original investment which is not good. And, and Buffett, again, going back to Buffett, one of my other favorite quotes is, it's only when the tide goes out that you discover who's been swimming naked. <laughs> right? I do so, like that, man. It's a great one. And and he's kind of like the Yogi Berra, right? Of, of, yes. of, of quotes, but in the investment world. But it's it's a very good quote because everyone can be in the pool at once or in, in the ocean at once and be riding the waves and doing well. But when that tide goes out and you're that, you're that lone person that hasn't made that second decision to get out. You can really see who's who's screwed up there. So universal truth, again, you got to think long-term. You can't get engaged in these short-term trading frenzies, we'll call it, with, with your serious money. Think long-term. All right. Now, thinking long, long-term, social security. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So there's a lot of different thoughts on social security. You know, I I work with a lot of different people, various uh, amounts of money, various retirement income needs. And social security is always one of those issues I tiptoe around a little bit because I need to figure out what a client really thinks and how they feel. And this is an emotional decision, 
you know, you've been working for 40 years in some regards and, and, and putting money into social security. And, and I get it. You, you feel that you're entitled to that. It's yours and you're rightfully so, but you can't just go and take it on day one at 62 when you're eligible. Now, a lot of people want to, a lot and of you people look at do. This, yeah, if you look at yeah. the stats, most people do, right? Because again, it's, it's just human nature. You put your money in, you can finally get it out. I'm going to get it out. It's mine, right? I want it in my pocket. But there's some other things that go into social security decisions. And we're going to talk about a few here. One, we need to talk about if you're still working or not. And, and if you are, you're generating income, that income could actually cause the, some of your social security benefits to to be taxed at a higher rate, it can also cause you to lose social security benefits. So a lot of times when people turn 62, if they're still going to work, one of the things that I always talk about is, do you need this? If you're working and living your life and, and your income is paying for everything and you're able to maybe even save a little bit and enjoy your life as it is, why turn on social security at 62 if you're never going to continue working? Right, right. You don't need it. You're mm -hmm. going to lose benefit if you do that. And, and what a lot of people have to understand and they don't is when you make your social security decision, more often than not, that's your permanent decision. You can't go back crack? and switch it. One crack at it, huh? Yeah. And, and there used to be other ways of, of kind of doing things, but they've, they've closed some of the loopholes, they called them. And, and you can't go back and change your mind all is all is all that easily anymore. There are certain situations, but it's, you don't want to rely on them. So when you make your decision, if you decide to take that check at 62 and it's a smaller check, you're getting that for the rest of your life in most and, cases. And I think you got to make a point here that social security was never meant to be your entire retirement income. Never. You're, you're absolutely right. When Social Security was designed, it was it was a supplement, even back then. And and back then when it was designed, it was it was a lot different. You had eight, nine, ten people that were contributing to every one retiree's Social Security check. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot more people paying in than you had taking. Now it's flipped, right? It's it's almost equal or 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 flipped on its side. So it was never designed to pay for your entire retirement income. And there's been a lot of instances where the government has dipped into that social security fund yes. to pay for various things. We have a lot of different spousal benefits that are being paid out. And, and that's, that's great and dandy. But if you think about it logically, perhaps a, a non-working spouse that has never paid a dollar into the system is collecting a check off of the system. Obviously that, that bucket's going to run dry at some point. Life expectancy is, has changed quite a bit from when, when Social Security was first designed. People are living longer. When Social Security was first designed and they did the math and they, they put the equation and the algorithm together, Social Security, Social Security started paying out right around when life expectancy was. And so most people maybe collected a few checks or a few years of checks and then they, they passed. Oh, surprise so, now. Right? And so now as people are living well into their 80s and 90s, getting that Social Security check for 20, 30 years in some cases the system wasn't designed that way. So you cannot rely on social security to pay for all of your retirement. It's only meant to supplement it. The average benefit right now, I believe is somewhere around $1,400 a month. Depending where you live, that is not a lot of money. Exactly right. And, and, you know, I have, I have clients, I have friends and family in the area that, that basically live off of that. That's not a lot of money. No. Right. And, and the longer you wait, to take social security, your benefits grow. Once you've reached full retirement age, they grow 8% a year. 
You can't there's, beat that 8%. There, there's nothing out there. Yeah. There's nothing out there that can guarantee you an 8% rate of return. And, and that's guaranteed by the full faith and, and taxing authority of the U.S. government. There's nothing out there that I can give you as, a, as an investment advisor or as a money manager that, that is going to guarantee you an 8% rate of return year after year. And Social Security does that. And so if you can afford to hold off on, on your claiming strategy, you can get that bigger check. And when you turn it on down the line, you, you can collect that bigger check forever. At full retirement age, you can continue to work, collect Social Security and make as much money at work as you possibly can and, and not have your Social Security taken away from you. It might, your taxation of the Social Security might be different, but you, can't, you, you won't lose benefit. And also the spousal considerations are, are important when I'm helping a, a client make Social Security decisions. We have to think about not only you, as the, we'll call it the earner and the social security recipient. We also, we also got to take into consideration your spouse and their situation and their retirement income need. Because if you're gone, in many cases, your spouse has an opportunity to perhaps take your social security benefit and, and supplement theirs. And so if you wait and you get the bigger check when you turn it on, well, guess what? If you're gone, mm. then your spouse could potentially collect off of that higher check. And so I always hear the, I always hear the, the argument that, well, you know, no one in my family has lived past 65. You know, I have very bad genetics where, where I'm not going to make it. And so therefore I need to turn that check on now. I need to start recouping my money out of the system because I'm not going to live long enough to enjoy it. And I get that. That's a very human and emotional reaction. Here's my argument with that. And I, I have to I obviously tiptoe around this Patrice, but if you're gone at 63, who cares if you took, you know, a year of social security out, what yeah. you have to consider is your spouse who's going to be left. Right. And they could, you know, survive you by 30 years. And so would you rather take one year of benefit just to say that you took some of your money out, or would you rather have your spouse with an opportunity to receive a bigger check for the rest of their life? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation at times, but bottom line is, and the universal truth, I guess, to all of this is don't just take social security early without looking at the options because it, it, it could make sense to delay it for a and lot with, of different reasons. And with all the options out there, they've got to talk to somebody who knows the system. Without a doubt. I mean, you, you have to speak to an expert. You have to talk to someone that knows what they're talking about, that knows the ins and outs, and, and that can help you make those decisions. Okay. A couple more universal truths that I want to run through. I've been taking notes as we've been talking because I just want to make sure that we get these out, even though we're, we're coming up on time here. But we talked about earlier college education. Okay. And one wow. of the universal truths. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One of the universal truths that I always bring up with college education is is not necessarily that college costs are going up. They definitely are. You know, at some point that might change, but that, that's kind of a semi-truth, like expect them to go up. But the universal truth is to never jeopardize your retirement for a child's college education. Meaning don't take money out of your retirement savings or your retirement plan to put it into a 529 plan just because you feel that it's the right thing to do. It's it's honorable. I get it. We all love our kids and you love your grandkids and you want to help them save for their college. But listen, you have a finite number of years left to save for retirement. They have their entire lives ahead of them, 
right? There's a lot of things that can happen between then and now where little Johnny, he might not go to college. He could get a scholarship or grants to help pay for it. He could join the service. He could start working right out of high school. School could be free at that point. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's quite possible. There's a lot of things that could happen between then and now. And, 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 And the other kicker is when these kids come out of college, let's say, even if they have a little bit of debt, because we, we didn't save for their college, they have their entire career ahead of them to pay off their own debt that they accrue, right? They could become, they could come out of college making a ton of money or they could join up with a firm or in a company and a lot of companies are starting to put these benefits into place where they could work for a company that actually helps yes. pay off their student loan debt as part of their benefit package. So there's a lot of things that can, that can happen with, with your child's education. And, and so don't get me wrong. If you have the means and the ability and the income and the, and the cash flow and, and the, the assets to save for college, it, it's a great situation and you definitely want to do it. However, you do not want to sacrifice your retirement for a college education. That's Mike, promise me that yeah, we're going to do a future episode on this college savings, college payments, 529 plans. I think this is a topic that is just ripe for a great discussion. Put it on the schedule, Patrice. We'll definitely make that right happen. Now. Right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a couple other things. We always talk about the difference between good debt and bad debt. I can't remember if we talked a little bit about that in the last episode, but with when you have good debt, it's okay to hold it. Put your extra mm-hmm. discretionary dollar towards a long-term investment. You're going to be better off. Pay off your bad debt, though. If you have that crippling debt, that credit card debt or that consumer loan debt, and we're seeing APR interest rates that are 15, 20, 25%, you got to get rid of that. So if you're, you have an extra dollar that you could theoretically put towards a long-term investment or to pay off bad debt, pay off the bad debt. You, you don't want to, you don't mm-hmm. want to hold on to that. Another universal truth is, is to know your credit score. A lot this of people I find kinda, intriguing. A lot of people say, I know my credit score. And then you say, yeah, what is it? Well, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I, okay. It's good. What is good? <laughs> I do not have a, a statistic to accurately back this up, but like, let, why, why let truth get in the way of a good statistic, <laughs> right? I got to guess that more people have a skewed sense of where their credit score really is compared to what they think it is. You know, I, I hear a lot of people think, say, I have great credit. And then they go to get a refinance or a new home or a second home or something like that, or a car. And they're shocked. It, it, why is it lower? And, and yeah. so the, the point here is try to know what your credit score is. And there's, there's the three major credit bureaus. You can get a free credit score from all of them once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's other ways of getting a credit score, whether it's through your bank. I know a lot of banks are kind of coming up with ways of, of getting it and kind of being able to monitor it on a regular basis. But however you find it, you want to make sure that you keep track of it. And if you think about it, you can actually kind of time these and schedule these checks, we'll call it throughout the year, where if you have three credit bureaus, you can basically do one every three, you know, four months. And, and so you have every four months, you you take a snapshot of where your credit score is. And, and if you notice something that's weird, this is the important part. If yes. you notice something that's off, you can request a full report and, and it will show you line by line where all your credit is and, and what's causing the ding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you can go and fix it. You can reach out to those creditors and figure out what's going on. And I see this more often than not when, when a credit score is off, that it's a mistake. It's, it's either an old credit card you didn't even remember that you had. Perhaps it was one of those moments where you were at a retailer and, and were buying a bunch of stuff and got snookered into buying that, it, using that credit card or signing up for the credit card at checkout. 
you know, a lot of people forget about that. And so when you're looking at your credit score regularly, you can pick those things up. And it's so it's important to stay on top of your credit score because that makes a difference down the line when it comes to big purchase decisions. When you're buying a house or a car or uh, refinancing or things like that, you want to have good credit and you want to know if there are mistakes that they are being fixed. Right. Challenge them and those credit bureaus will follow up with you. Absolutely. A lot of people think it's this black box and a lot of ways it is, but you can get things fixed. And, and once you fix it with the, the creditor and you reach back out to one of the reporting agencies, mm-hmm. it, it will be almost an instant fix. You'll see that jump. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important to stay on top of that. Wrap it up, Patrice here. One of the things that I, I don't like talking about with clients, but it's very important for everyone. It's a universal truth is you got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And, and that can be life insurance as a way of protection for the family. If God forbid something bad were to happen to you, but it's also having an estate plan. And whether you have 10 bucks or 10 million bucks, it's good to have a plan in place for your demise because let's, let's get one thing straight. One universal truth for everyone is, is we're not going to make it out of here alive. Right. And so you want to, you want to have a plan in place, especially if you have a family and loved ones that care about you, because if you leave them with a mess, and I've seen this without an estate plan, not only are they grieving your loss, but they're also dealing with a huge financial mess that is confusing. Most times it's the first time that that person has ever had to deal with that type of thing. It's scary. It's intimidating. And and you really are at a loss because you don't really know where to go or where to turn. And many times the family is on the losing end in the long run. It, it's it's terrible, right? Because not only they lost a loved one, but they're also dealing with all these loose ends and, and they could be making mistakes. They could be giving up money or assets that they otherwise could have kept. It's not a good situation to die without an estate plan. And it doesn't have to be grand or, or robust by any means. You can have a very basic estate plan, but bottom line is you, you want to make sure that if, if accounts have beneficiaries, that you know who they are and that you update them. And that you, you keep track of it, right? Whether it's a birth or a death or a divorce or a marriage, something like that. Those are the life changes that I always kind of mm-hmm. trigger a beneficiary check. You want to know who your beneficiaries are. It's a good idea for just about everyone to have a will, uh, a power of attorney and a living will set up because these not, are the... I'm sorry, I was say it's not difficult to do this either. Putting together no. a will, a power of attorney, yeah. it's not that difficult. No, what you, what you need to do is you need to engage with a lawyer right? Or, or legal team that can write these documents. But really all you need to do is know who's getting what and who's in charge. Right. It's, you, you got to have your team in place. You got to have, you got to know if you're gone, who's going to handle settling the, the estate, who's going to collect the insurance, who's going to collect the assets, who the beneficiaries are. You also, your power of attorney is who's going to make decisions if you're alive, but can't make your own decisions. If you're, if there's an accident, if you're hurt, and you can't get to the bank or you can't call your your advisor to withdraw money, your spouse can't do that. A lot of people have that misconception thinking that once you're married, your spouse can automatically make those decisions. They can't. They need a power of attorney in order to make those decisions for you. So that's a very important document to have in place. And then the living will, I sometimes call it the pull the plug document. Sometimes it's called a medical yeah. directive. Yeah. You're making your own end of life decisions so that your loved ones don't have to. Right. You know, that's a very troubling time. And it's usually when your last moments at the hospital, you don't want them to make those calls. Exactly. You want your wishes to be followed and you're taking the burden off their shoulders. It's it's a huge relief 
when, when you're going through that situation and you already know that the, the person that's passing made these decisions so that you're not making them. Yes. And, and so an estate plan is very important. One key I'll throw out here, this is kind of a, a misconception I talk about a lot when we're dealing with estate plans. People, I'm kind of shocked people don't really recognize this, but when you're dealing with assets, anything that has a beneficiary on it goes to the beneficiary first before the will even comes into place, right? Think of the will as the cleanup crew. Anything that has a beneficiary, whether it's an ins- uh, insurance mm-hmm. or an IRA or retirement plan, they, those usually all have beneficiaries. A TOD account, you can add beneficiaries to like a typical brokerage account if you wanted to. Anything that has a beneficiary goes to that beneficiary very quickly, cleanly. It's basically a form, provide a death certificate and the money transfers to the beneficiary very quickly. Anything that's left, that doesn't have a beneficiary. That's what the will takes can, takes care of. It's the cleanup crew. So that could be like cash, uh, typically your home or your car or things that don't have that beneficiary designation. The will is what directs that. That so, is a great explanation. Great. Yeah. If if and so here's the issue. I see occasionally, right? Not it's not the norm, but occasionally I see this with divorce situations where after a divorce of maybe a short marriage or a long one, you have your ex-spouse as the beneficiary on an old account that you never really pay attention to. And then you get remarried, maybe you have a new estate plan done and your will says that everything's going to the new spouse. Well, guess what? If if you passed and the beneficiary had never been changed from the ex-spouse to the new one, that ex-spouse is getting that account. Everyone thinks, everyone thinks that the will, everyone thinks that the will trumps everything else, but it doesn't. The beneficiary designations trump the will. And so there's going to be some really interesting legal ramifications, which equate to time and money to get that resolved. You do not want to deal with that. And in some cases you can't even fix it. So everyone wants to make, I always make a client review their beneficiaries, at least on a yearly basis, or if there's a major life event. So have an estate plan in place. It's very important. Listening to everything that you've just said, Mike, in the part one and now in this part two on, on universal truths in uh, wealth management, it all comes down to one final note, I think, and that is get help. That's probably the universal truth of them all. That's the mother of all universal truths, right? <laughs> get help. You know, as I always say at the end of my podcast, you, you shouldn't be doing this alone. And it's the smart people that recognize that and, and they get help. A lot of people are intimidated at times when they engage with a financial advisor because it's usually the first time you've done that. It could be like this, you know, man behind the curtain type of feeling and, and <laughs> there's costs involved. Well, I'm here to tell you that those costs are worth it. To put a plan into place, it, it allows you to relax. It allows you to understand and feel comfortable that someone is helping you with this stuff, that someone's on top of it. And it ultimately, you're going to do better than you would have been doing yeah. alone. So that's the important part. You, you want to consult with a financial advisor, with an attorney or an estate planning lawyer or an accountant or professional in these various areas when you're making the decisions because you shouldn't and, and, and you can't be doing it alone. So With that bottom line, when you're making these types of decisions, it's critical that you consult with the professionals that are qualified to help because there's so many components we've talked about and there's so many different products and investments and strategies out there that it's simply in your best interest to engage with a financial advisor before trying to do it on your own. That said, if you need me or if you're interested about hearing about my practice, just reach out by calling 724-933-4446 
or you can email me at michael.dukovic at rbc.com. That's D-U-K-O-V-I-C-H. Or you can just visit the website at michaeldukovic.com and tons of good information on the website. You can definitely check it out when you have some time. Again, I'm looking to work with people that understand that you shouldn't be doing it alone and, and people who value the plan and the people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember, it's your money, it's your life, take control. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor, Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC.